Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200K in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week, we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Driving Efficient Growth. I am super excited to have on today's guest. If you're on LinkedIn, you have probably already seen him. His name is Mason Cosby. He is a director of demand gen at Sales Assembly. He's been there about nine weeks, so has a ton of learnings to share with us from his time there. Mason, how's it going today? Man, it's going well. Um, I'm excited to be here. Blake, I don't know if you remember, but we first started chatting literally three and a half years ago, and it's just been so cool to watch your career progression, and I just feel like that's why I love LinkedIn. It's just getting to know people through LinkedIn and then watching them grow and then getting to have great conversations like this. I'm excited to be here today. Awesome. Yeah, no, I I was thinking about that before we hopped on. I'm like, man, like I remember like that first call when we were just kind of like getting started, figuring things out and just all the learnings along the way. So no, this will be great. So I guess, uh, Mason, so really, you know, the show, the focus is I want to hear from like a great in-house operator like you are and what you're doing at Sales Assembly. So I guess maybe could we start by just setting the context for the listeners and just can you walk us through like what is Sales Assembly, and then who are you selling to? Yeah, so Sales Assembly is a skill development platform that helps really any role across the go-to-market team actually close their skill gaps. So not to bore everybody with a ton of data, but essentially there's just a lot of research that's recently come out that's showcasing that roughly 70% of employees do not feel like they have the skills to do their jobs, which is just baffling. And when you look at training, learning and development, skill growth, uh, especially sales enablement teams, they're often focused on the product and the process training because that's very unique to the business. But what we're seeing is that most people do not have the foundational skills that they actually need to effectively do sales, do CS, do marketing. So what Sales Assembly does is we provide that foundational skill development training. So we sell primarily to enablement and CROs because by the nature that we're called sales assembly, that's really where we started. That's kind of our bread and butter is that um, sales process across, again, SDR all the way up into CRO training. But we also actually, it's interesting, our most active audience to date has been CS. So we've got a very active CS community as well. So yeah, I mean, if you're looking for somebody that can help you actually grow the skills of your team, that's what we do. Got it. No, that's a perfect. I love asking that question because it puts every marketer, anybody on the spot for the elevator pitch. And I think you nailed it. So with sales assembly, then if you're serving the go to market teams, you have the sweet spot in CS, you're selling CROs as well. Um, what is like the, the market that you're going after look like? Is it high growth B2B startups? Is it large scale enterprise teams? Like who are you going after? Yeah. So we, again, I've been here for nine weeks. So actually in the first nine weeks, we've clarified our total relevant market. We've actually, I literally just finished updating our messaging. So like, that's why it's so relevant right now. Um, But what's interesting about the way that we sell is we don't do like a a per seat. We are a single cost $30,000 a year platform across the entire team. So I look at it as honestly, from my perspective, the easiest sell is going to be an organization that has at least a hundred team members that are between Primarily, again, sales and CS, because at that point, you're paying 300 bucks per person per year. So that's kind of the way that I'm thinking through it. And as we look at our customer base, yes, we do have the 
smaller startup that's got 20 to 25 um, salespeople plus CS people. But we also literally have clients like LinkedIn and Gong. So again, by the nature oh, that wow. it is a single platform, single cost, $30,000 a year for the entire team, it can span the gauntlet. Um, where again, I think we're seeing more people have more value is larger teams though. Interesting. Okay. Got it. So you have like the larger, so you have standardized pricing. So whether you're super small, super large, it's standardized pricing. So definitely want to talk about mapping out. You mentioned like three things I want to dive into mapping out your total relevant market messaging and pricing. So I guess let's just like start from the top. So then you've been here nine weeks. Sounds like you've been doing a lot of work. Uh, yeah, I'm busy. That foundation in place. Yeah, sounds like you've been busy. So I guess let's start with that total relevant market because you know as you like dive into this process, I think one piece of you know context I'll add there is I think that a lot of people, and I don't think it intentionally, but in my experience, I think a lot of people miss this when they start. Like yeah. the very first thing that you need to do is if you're a new marketing leader or if you're a new sales leader coming in is you have to understand like what is my total market and like you're t- going to talk about maybe you talk about your total addressable market versus total relevant market that difference there but like you have to map that out because in b2b it's so different than b2c where it's like b2c say you're selling shoes you can't map out the tens of millions of people that can buy your shoes like you can i'm sure but like not to the same level of specificity where in b2b we have all the data we need through data providers. So you can map out your market and who you can sell to. And you can look at your CRM and say, this is who we're going to sell to. We're going to sell to small growing startups and large enterprises. So uh, all that context to say, how have you gone about mapping out your market? And can you kind of break down the difference between TAM and uh, total relevant market? Yeah. So if we were to look at the total addressable market for sales assembly, which is where they've been kind of mainly focused. They claimed B2B tech, which is just massive. Like there's just so many potential people to sell to in that. And you can't market, I mean, you can, but it's not gonna be effective to market to B2B tech. Because at that point, what's the common problem that they're all trying to solve? Yes, it is. We need better skills for our team. But I mean, that's very different when when we are talking to a LinkedIn versus a Series B startup that's got 30 sales team or 30 sales reps. So from that perspective, we wanted to hone it in a little bit. So from a total relevant market perspective, where we are looking is typically going to be at least 200 team members. They are Series B or beyond, or they're privately held. They are United States based and kind of the cap that we're looking at is about 5,000 team members. Even that is still large. And I want to be clear that that is very large, but when we did that, you know, if we just kind of looked at B2B tech, I think it came back with 20,000 different companies that we could potentially sell to just, and there's more criteria that went into it, but overall, like that's kind of the high level of it. It brought us down to 3,000 as a total relevant market that we could then say, okay, these are the people that we're going to try to sell to. And I I view total relevant market through the lens of these are the people that we're going to try to sell to for the next three to five years. So again, if we're going to focus, let's focus for three to five years on these 3,000 accounts with the idea that we're not going to close all of them. But if we got 10% of our total relevant market, we currently have 200 clients. If we closed 10% of 3,000 accounts, we've got 300 new customers. And when you right. factor in churn over the next five years, we'll still probably double the company in the next five years from a client portfolio size. I think that's a massive win. So that's how we identified starting total relevant market was looking at our existing customer base to see who are the best clients, who are the most profitable clients, um, who is going to always provide a positive NPS. They're getting a ton of value. They've renewed for years and years and years. So looking at that and then comparing that up against, again, all these other factors. And if I were to quickly summarize what that all comes into, we're not startup, we are scale up stage. So we are at the point where you've got product market fit and you're typically looking to scale your organization. Um, One of the best examples is Sprout Social. They were one of the first members Back in 2017, they've been with us ever since, 
and we scaled up with them and they have become one of the most raving advocate um, members of sales assembly. Like I literally, we, I'm just got included into an email thread with, with Ryan Barreto just around like a number of things. Like we just have active conversations with them, not even related back to our product, but just because there's a genuine relationship that's been built there. So that's first a great walkthrough of like that process. So maybe can we dig a little deeper because I think one thing that what you talked about kind of struck a chord with me is, okay, you went from, hey, there's 20,000 B2B tech companies, right? But when we narrow it down, we're saying, well, we want to focus on these, you know, 3,000 B2B scale-up companies where they're Series B, they're rapidly adding team members as they grow, and they're rapidly trying to expand. Can you maybe walk me through and just walk like the listeners through what does that change? Like, does how does that change? Like, you know, what you think about for outreach? I think messaging is the key thing there. Like, you get so tight. So I'm curious to you know hear what you've gone through there. But like, yeah, what does that change go from when you say, hey, we're not going after just twenty thousand B two B tech companies? Like, how much more specific can you get when you say we're going to go after these three thousand B two B scale ups? Yeah. So when we think about the evolutions of the message that Sales Assembly has been providing initially the the message that they kind of run with for a few years was revolutionizing how b2b tech scales and they had this whole like scale framework that was an acronym and then at that point they kind of were all things to all people so they were helping with hiring they were helping with advisory so it was just like again if we think of i don't know if you're familiar with sangram's book move but essentially there's three stages of of go to market which is problem market fit platform um, sorry problem market fit product market fit, and then platform market fit. So sales assembly was in that problem. Like B2B tech companies are struggling to scale. So how do we help solve that? And what they found in that is that the biggest thing that they can help with is that skill development. So the next phase was how do we then hone in on where we fit within the market? So kind of the initial thing that, that they had been running with for about a year when I joined was this concept of elevated learning and development which is helpful. It's closer. The problem with that is we didn't actually hit the problem. We said what we do. Now we talk about building a foundation for skill development and our call to action on our website is close your skill gaps. Because as we think about scale up, their problem is not, we don't, you know, startup is typically bandwidth. Like they've got a bunch of people that are wearing a bunch of hats. When you're moving to scale up, what you're typically doing is elevating those team members that were in the startups quickly. That's how you get into quick leadership. And then you're hiring in people and you're helping them to specialize. The challenge is when you start to specialize, you need a deeper skill set. And as a result, like I, I actually have a lot of skills across a variety of disciplines, but I wouldn't claim deep expertise in any one area. That works well for me because I typically work in smaller startup companies. If we started to scale up, I would need to get deep expertise in a specific area. And that's how we help close those skill gaps is you're moving into scale up. You're starting to actually specialize your team members into you're no longer just a full funnel AE that's doing your own prospecting and closing your own deals. We've got an SDR, we have AEs and we have enterprise AEs and those specializations need different skills. So that's how we can get more specific in the messaging is we don't just offer learning and development. We help you close your skill gaps. No, that, I think that's, you know, a really strong example there. And so I guess when you're thinking about that messaging, cause you kind of walk through like fundamentally what the different business challenges are. So then how do you think about developing that messaging? Like obviously you understand, but you know, is it, combination of working across the team. Can you maybe, you know, walk me through how you think about that? Yeah. So I was very fortunate. Um, the, the elevated learning and development process that we got to my, my former boss had kind of run the organization through a series of meetings and summits and like got to a point where they all agreed. Cause even in that messaging, we had to agree what our product was. So we all like, cause literally in January, we had three different tiers that included projects and advisory and consulting and hiring. And like, we don't do any of that anymore. We offer the $30,000 skill development product. So through that messaging, we clarified, this is what we do. Like, this is the foundation of how we 
are a business and how we make money. From there, the other thing that happened is we ended up hiring on a VP of product that is our ideal persona that is helping to up-level the product. She came in with a just incredible level of expertise and like started to pull together a ton of data. So she, she hosted a product summit. After that product summit was over, I was like, send me all of that. I need all of that today. The other thing is that she had been hosting a number of customer interviews and discoveries to then understand specifically what is the problem that you have bought from us to solve? Like, why are you buying from us? So I had those gong calls. I had her research and her data. Plus I had a year of people trying to hone in the messaging. I think the challenge that the company ran into is, and our, our, my former boss would tell you this, like he said, I'm not, I'm not a messaging expert. Like this is not my area of expertise. I can help. I can give it a shot, but like, it's not my area of expertise. So what ended up happening is we had an incredible amount of well thought out research. And then Blake, when you and I connected, um, this was again, three and a half years ago, I was actually a story brand certified guide. So I am very familiar with actually, how do you do a brand message? And the biggest thing that our company was missing at that point was kind of the, the feeling like, what is the problem we actually solve? We know what we do. We know who we serve. But what's the feeling that our customers experience right before they decide, I have to find a solution to this problem? And then how do we call out that problem? Which is what I think StoryBrain does incredibly well. So from there, I actually sent out a survey to all of our internal team members. And I just said, and I actually just walked them through a series of questions that was actually StoryBrain's framework. Um, I took all of that information, I put it into a Google Doc, I skimmed over, I pulled out the highlights, I then walked through the StoryBrain messaging framework and then actually laid out our brand message in a homepage uh, in a day. And then from there, ran it by our executive team, had a couple of tweaks here and there, um, and now it's on the website. So like, because there was so much foundational work that I could honestly steal from, it made my process literally from ideation to on the website two weeks, which is incredible. Um, but again, it did take, there was a lot of foundational work of what is our product? Who do we serve? How do we serve them? What's the data that supports the viability that this problem is a massive problem that we have to solve? And then asking our team members, how does this make them feel? And I will say one final thing that gives me an advantage. Most of our team, before they worked at Sales Assembly, were Sales Assembly users. So they, mm. coming from being at a member company, know it well. Either they bought it or they were an end user. So I know if if I didn't have to move this quickly, the other thing that I would always recommend people do is actually having the conversations firsthand with the customers. But I was able to have so much existing information that was recent and relevant that I could kind of skip that step and jump straight into the actual laying out of the message. That is really cool that like you have that kind of insight and I appreciate you walking us through, you know, those different areas where, you know, you've got the research, you've got, um, the, you know, the work that have been done, that foundation, you've got listening to gong calls, talking with, you know, basically talking with customers, even though they're internal employees. So I think one thing I'll add there or ask is, so why do you think this is so important? Right? Cause I think the toughest thing when marketers like are just starting out and even when they've, you know, been, you know, with a company for six, 12, 18 months, it's prioritization, mm -hmm. right? And understanding like, okay, I have a limited number or amount of time and resources. So where do I prioritize? So, you know, maybe can you talk to why was this such a big priority for you? And like, what does this sound the set the foundation for? So there's two things. First, when I look at the content and demand program that I am building, it is almost entirely ungated. So we're not capturing information. I don't have a way to just hammer people with emails. Like the only thing that I've got is I have to provide high quality content that then engages people in such a way that they want to go look at our website. So from that perspective, our message and our homepage has to be very clear and specific because I get five to 10 seconds to grab someone's attention once they've landed on our page or they're going to bounce. And my goal is that once they've landed on our homepage, they can answer three questions. Who are you? 
what do you do and how do I do business with you? From there, the next, like once I grab them, the next thing it should be, oh, they, they know the problem that I'm experiencing right now. From there, the next thing should be, oh, they have a solution to this problem. The next thing should be, they empathize with me, they understand me, and they have the authority to back up the claims that they're making. The next thing should then be, here's the three steps that we do to help you get to the future end state of where you want to be. And again, that's why it's so critically important. I can drive tons of awareness. I can drive tons of impressions. I can do so much top of funnel and get people to the website. And if the homepage and the message doesn't speak directly to our customers, none of that mattered because they're not going to convert and actually say, you know what? They get me. I should buy from them today. I think that's a really, that's really well laid out because that's a thing I've struggled to articulate. Because one thing I've come across is that, like, similar to you, right? Like, I kind of have specialized on the paid ad side. But whether it's paid ads or organic content, whatever it is, it's, like, kind of, like, two different things you're doing, right? If we had to, I guess, uh, summarize it where it's, like, the one piece of it is there's all this stuff you're doing that's, like, outside of your website. So it's stuff for you. You know, it's like stuff you're doing on LinkedIn. It's mm-hmm. events. And then there might be stuff you're doing, like, you know, with um, ads at some point. There's stuff you're doing with, you know, cold outreach, all these different things that you're doing that are outside of like your website sphere. And the whole goal of that is to, like you said, generate awareness. But the reason that the website is so important in like a B2B motion and why like you really need to invest time, money and, uh, you know, just uh, like resources to it is because all of that gets funneled to your website. And like we live in an age where people self-educate and self-select. So like that's you're using your website as like you talked about, you're hitting those key points like who are you? What do you do? Why is this important? How are you different? Like that's where you kind of make your sales pitch in a sense. Right. So is is that kind of how you see it? Like as this kind of like two part, like I've got doing all this stuff, but then like the actual selling that comes in when they hit the website. Yes. I mean, again, we, we all know that there's two sides to demand generation, which is actually generating demand and then capturing demand. And I view the homepages of the website and really the website in and of itself as that capture demand. I'm going to go generate demand on social, on podcasts, on live events. And we we do have a small outbound motion that is typically for those that are more engaged. Um, But I mean, at that point, the goal is that they come to our website and they schedule a call. So to that end... That's why the message is so important. And then the other thing is, you know, and I've been listening to a number of podcasts that our executive team had done and that team members have done before we kind of went through this messaging exercise. And when you ask the question, what do you do? Every single time, either the same person would say something different or the different team members would say different things. So it's incredibly critical the way that we talk about ourselves, because if you go back to the beginning, I said things in a very specific way. Because I want people to, within 30 seconds of listening to me, understand what we do and self-opt-in or self-opt-out of, oh, that's something I could probably use down the road. I see the value of it. Or, eh, not for me. That's great. But when you, another thing that we're doing that I'll probably talk about here in a little bit, but I'm sending our executives on a podcast tour. So we've got 30 podcast interviews lined up across super niche-specific podcasts. If they all say a different thing every single time of what we do across 30 podcasts, it has defeated the purpose. But if we say the exact same thing about what we do and how we do it and how we help and the problem that we solve across 30 podcasts, we then become known as the people that do this thing. So that's why messaging is so important because it becomes your call to action as well. No, that's very well said. So, yeah, I do want to definitely get into like how you're generating demand and segue into that. But just, I guess, kind of to put a cap on this. So would you summarize it as basically, you know, the first couple things that you've tried to figure out is one, let's understand our market. So our total addressable market and total relevant market Two, how are we positioned? So when you're looking at like your products and, you know, what you're offering, what do we want to be known for and what do we want to sell and how do we want to scale as a business? And then three, how do we consistently communicate that? It's kind of like those three things you're like, hey, 
if we're gonna do this and do this right i can go generate all this demand which i want to like uh, pivot to next but before we do that we have to have these three things in place because i think that's where so many uh marketing teams and just like uh, companies in general that's where they could use some more focus and i i don't think i've been able to articulate like why that is but i think you really clearly talked about like it, you you would consider it those three things right anything you'd add before we talk about generating demand yeah i mean i think to another way just to frame it up is marketers should start at the bottom of the funnel and then work their way back up because there's probably a ton of low and i hate the frame the the framing of low-hanging fruit but there's probably, I do too, but I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, <laughs> there's relatively easy things. So, for example, somebody comes to your website, they don't understand what you do, they bounce immediately. Like, we're already getting traffic there. How do we just focus in on <laughs> clearly articulating this is what we do? This is how we help you. Here's how you can schedule a call. And then you can move up to start driving more traffic. But again, if you haven't optimized the actual capturing of demand and you haven't optimized the process in which somebody can schedule a call, generating demand doesn't matter because you haven't made it easy to capture it. No, that's fantastic. And so when actually, I think we can talk a little bit about the sales process, but actually I want to go over. So that's a really good summary there. Now I want to go over a little bit more to what you're thinking about on the generating demand side. Yeah. So I guess maybe let's start with like two things. So the first thing would be what, you know, like, what are you thinking about, like, that you guys already had in motion? Like, how are you approaching that? Because I'm sure you guys already had some programs in motion. So how do you think about that? And then the second piece we'll cover after will just be, then what are you thinking from, like, a new programs or iterations perspective? Like, how have you approached those two things? Yeah, so honestly, when we think about the existing programs, Sales Assembly has been entirely built through social selling, referral networks, um, partnerships, and then... I mean, just some cold outbound. So as far as like a content, like a sustainable content program, Sales Assembly had built blog content. They had done some occasional like live workshop type stuff, but there was nothing consistent. So like I, I got a ton of documentation and I, I asked my my former boss and I just said, so like, do you want me to pick up with this and run with it? And he goes, no, we can kind of scrap all of it. I just wanted you to have the context of what we have done that hasn't worked in the past. So honestly, from that perspective, like I have two th trains of thought of how I'm going to generate demand and it is supporting some of the existing, but honestly, it's more of how do I help support an outbound motion for our sales team? That is the short term. Because even, you know, somebody, somebody asked me in the, in the interview process, you know, how, how are you going to think about like where to emphasize and prioritize your efforts so we can be generating pipeline? And I just said, let's figure out what the minimum pipeline needs to be so that we can actually hit our goals for the year. And then once pipeline is full, nobody really cares what marketing does. Like at that point, as long as the pipeline is full, as long as that is actually moving at the appropriate rate, not just a full stalled pipeline, but like our pipeline um, velocity is maintaining, the deal value is maintaining, the right fit customers are maintaining, as long as all of that is there, I can guarantee nobody's going to ask me how many leads have been generated. It just doesn't matter. So at that point, we can then start to think more long-term. Because um, another phrase that I, I've started to really think through is, yes, long-termism, long-termism, long-term doesn't get here if we don't take care of the short-term. So how do I start to directly support the short-term initiatives so that we can get to the long-term initiatives? So happy to dive into both what I'm thinking long-term and short-term. Mm -hmm. You read my mind. Let's start with the short term because I think this is something that I've fallen as like in victim into or in a challenge where when you think too long term, what it does is you start implementing these programs, which, you know, you'll probably have success if you're able to keep with them long term. But the, the, the cases or excuse me, the, the key phrase is if you're able to keep them long term, because the, the biggest thing is like when you're a new marketing hire, whether you're an internal, you know, director of demand gen, like you are at sales assembly, whether you're an external agency, the biggest thing people are looking for is they have to like basically cross the chasm, right? Yep. And then there's this like element of trust you have to build where you have to say like, what we're doing, we can't just be, you know, saying like, oh, you got to wait six months. Oh, you got to wait 12 months. Like that's just not unfortunately an acceptable answer mm -hmm. in, you know, most organizations. So Mason, how are you thinking about those short-term levers and like what are you thinking those levers are yeah so there's two that i came in with 
that I said, we have to do this within the first three months of me being here. Um, one is a referral program. So again, we have 200 clients. Um, and I was fortunate, actually, in my interview process, I was able to connect with a CRO that I just happened to know. And that CRO in the past five years has worked at three different organizations. And one of her first buys every single time is sales assembly for her team. Nice. Which is, I'm like, this is, inc-. so she's super involved, super engaged, knows what's up with sales assembly and said to me, I've brought you in three times, like in five years. And nobody has ever reached out to ask for a referral. I'm clear. I clearly mm-hmm. love you. I'm clearly engaged in this community. Not a single time has anyone asked me for a referral. Now, I've sent referrals your way, which is great. But no one's ever asked me to do it. And it's like such a clear, easy thing. So we we just actually came up on a series of contract renewals. And I just said, why are we not, as soon as a customer renews, saying like, we're so excited, and then saying, hey, thank you so much for renewing. You've clearly gotten value out of this. And you are seeing that this is valuable for you in the current economic time. Do you know anyone else that is struggling with the same problems that you use sales assembly to solve? Yes or no? Again, we have 200 clients that are renewing. So if we ask that to every single client, and I'm not saying we should ask every single one, but let's say we only asked 50. And 20 of them were like, yeah, I know somebody. So we got 20 referrals. Let's say only, you know, 25% of those close. We just got five new customers. We're, we're only trying to get 100 new customers this year. So again, from a quick win perspective, if we can start working 20 deals, and ideally, actually, we would have a better close rate than 25%. But, I mean, just to make the numbers easy, like, that's that's huge. Like, that's a massive win that we could get today. And we could do that every single quarter because we have quarterly renewals that have kind of all come up. Let me reframe that. We have annual renewals with all of our customers, but they typically happen, like, we think about them on a quarter-to-quarter basis. So again... We could say like, all right, here are all the Q1 renewals. Let's ask them in Q2 for a referral. All the Q2 renewals. Let's ask them in Q3 for a referral. So that was the first thing. Uh, The second thing, and we talked about this right before we started recording, was user gems. So I I didn't know that we were going to buy user gems when I was interviewing. I actually mentioned user gems in my interview process knowing this business model. So the average CRO is changing jobs every 18 to 21 months. So if we look at this through the lens of when somebody changes, they already know what we do. They already see the value likely. How do we then follow them to the next next job and say, typically, especially for a CRO, a CRO is brought in to help turn around a sales team and up-level that sales team. It's a large task. So you can spend $30,000 and get... 200 programs on an annual basis that have been perfectly curated for the skills that match the specific roles across the typical B2B tech sales team. Seems like a pretty easy buy. (laughs) So how are we intentionally then following those champions to their next role? Because the other thing that that does, um, when we're intentional about following the champions, we can then be sure that we are actually also focused on a main point of contact just left. And they're a customer. So how are we proactive to engage the larger team to ensure that there's retention there as well? So it's not just a new business play to help fill pipeline, but it is also a retention play to ensure that we aren't losing new, we aren't losing old members whenever somebody leaves. So those are the two mm-hmm. things that I'm immediately thinking through of how do we build a referral program that helps to get our best champions to send us more business? And then the other one is just how do we for lack of a word, get the double sale. So how do we ensure that we maintain the existing customer and whenever they move on, that we get that next sale? Um, so, and if you're following me on LinkedIn, I actually made a post about this. We turned user gyms on earlier this week. It delivered 70 CROs and VPs of sales that had made job transitions since the beginning of the year. So again, I don't think we're gonna close ev- all 70, but we sent out some initial emails and just said, hey, congrats on your new gig. Like, here's a little bit of swag. And we had numerous people email back to say, 
I've been meaning to get to you. We need to get time on the calendar so I can bring sales assembly in. Or they said, I've been meaning to get to you. I'm on a budget freeze right now, but can we connect an early Q3? So again, like all we did was say, congrats on the job. Here's some swag because you love sales assembly already. We didn't say that exactly, but kind of the sentiment. We didn't even ask for a meeting. We already got meetings booked. So again, those are kind of the two short-term plays. No, I think that's great. And actually, I think it plays into like everything you talked about too, in terms of like getting that captured demand, Mm -hmm. like focus on the short term as well. So it's like, it sounds like, you know, in the short term, what you've been thinking about has been like, how do we optimize for our capture demand process? So on our website, so how do we optimize, uh, you know, what we're selling, who we're selling it to and how we're saying that. So get them, getting them to book the meeting. And then on top of that, the other big focus, like you said, you've done this almost like renewal trigger based Mm -hmm. referrals where it's like, Hey, you just re-upped, like you said, in this current climate. So it's like, Hey, if you're going to spend $30,000 a year on training materials, like obviously you're seeing a lot of value in this. Cause that's something I feel like a lot of people might think about cutting. So if they think it's that important, there's a reason. Yep. So saying, okay, this trigger based renewals, I love that. And then like you've talked about, you're in a situation where, one, your market, like the CROs change jobs semi-frequently. And then two, you have this base of happy, raving fan customers. So you can tap into that user gems, like you said, generate 70 warm intros where, you, you know, you could be going outbound to your blue in the face and not get that, that nearly the amount of lift and time that you got. So I love that. I think that's a great you know, roadmap that people could follow of like really actionable things, because I think a lot, and Mason curious to get your input on this. Cause I mean, you worked agency side before sales assembly, but it's like, I think a lot of people, when they think of short term, they immediately think of like, what can we do from a paid ads perspective? Or what can we do from, you know, a, a outbound blast perspective. Right. And when in reality, it's like, no, it's breaking it down to the fundamentals saying like, we need to make sure we're talking to the right people with the right message yep. and that we are, you know, doing the right things to talk to our existing user base. Is that kind of, you know, an accurate summary of how you're seeing it? Yeah. And I mean, the going back to agency experience, yes. So many people think, can we just turn on paid ads? That'll be an immediate impact. And like, that's just wrong. Because uh, if you're just starting an ad campaign, you know better than I do. Like, there's there's a time frame to optimize that campaign. So if you're just looking for a short-term result, that's not going to work. Um, the, the other thing that's a short-term play, if people are just looking for a short-term quick play that I used to use in, in agency world, is looking at closed loss deals and dark deals and sending them a popcorn tin that just says, hey, I'm popping in to ch- or I'm popping back in to check in or something like that. Um, you know, just wanted to see if you're if they went with it a competitor, like, it's been six months. Just wanted to see if you're happy with your other agency um, or if they went dark, just popping back in to see if this is still a priority. Um, popcorn 10 costs like 30 bucks. And by going to your closed loss, dark and delayed deals, um, they're already brand aware. They are at one point thought you might be valuable and you already typically know what challenge they were trying to solve six months ago. So you can re-engage on that front. Every time we've done that, or we had done that, we'd send out like 30, we'd get 10 meetings and like typically two or three closes. So again, there are short-term things that you can do, but the reality is in order to actually do a closed, lost, dark and delayed re-engagement campaign, you had to generate pipeline in the first place. So right. yes, if you're just looking for a short-term, short-term play, I like, yeah, you can go outbound until you're cold or blue in the face, but it's just not going to be nearly as effective as actually starting to generate some level of strategic, how do we re-engage past customers? How do we go after customers that have moved to new companies? Um, And how do we actually start to get a better referral basis? No, I love that. I think that's so many tactical and strategic insights that people can take away from the short term. So Flipping to the long term and how you're going to like, you know, I'm really curious to get your thoughts here and what you're thinking, but to like kind of generate that demand and awareness and consideration at scale. So how are you thinking about that? Right. So like setting the stage, you've mapped out, okay, here's the 3000 accounts I'm going to work with. And here's the messaging that's going to resonate with them. So I have my foundation in place. So now can you walk me through 
how are you thinking like, all right, I've got this time horizon of three to five years where I'm going to play this long-term play. Yep. What's the, what's the process that you're going through uh, internally and how are you thinking about approaching that? Yeah. So we've got 3000 accounts and then specifically within that, um, one of the other things that we do are dinners across the U S and in specific major cities. So for example, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, um, Austin are, are just some major cities. So within that total relevant market, we have then done specific segmentation. So we've done uh, geographic segmentation, but we've also then in other ways done intent-based segmentation. So there are, we don't necessarily have a direct competitor at the moment, um, but there are obviously alternatives. So looking at are these people searching on alternatives? And from there, we are doing an intentional LinkedIn connection strategy. If you've ever listened to me before, I talk a lot about the value of building an intentional audience. And the best way to do that is by connecting. Um, I think people should max out on their connections every single week. Um, I just hit mine earlier today. Um, and what that does is we are now inv inviting our best fit customers to be a part of our LinkedIn connections and following. From there, we can then start to create specific and intentional content. So I am, I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen G. Pope. Um, he has got some incredible content around content automation and like how do you actually create great content at scale. What I'm doing actually next week with our executive team is aligning their LinkedIn personas essentially to specific content pillars. So as we look to create content, we're going to ensure that they are creating consistent content that ties back to something that is a relevant problem for either our end user or our decision makers. The other thing that we are then doing is creating some content pillars. So you may have seen, we recently announced a monthly live show that is called sales and stuff and things. The idea behind that is to showcase a little bit that we don't take things too seriously, but also when you look at who's on the monthly live show, some of the heaviest hitters that I've ever seen it. Sam McKenna, Todd Capone, Matt Green, and Jen Allen, and just the four of them every single month showing up, providing highly tactical, um, and but also like strategic leadership insight. That's going to be great live content. And from there, that will be all clipped up. We're doing a whole content repurposing engine. So yeah, social clips that will turn into written posts, that will turn into blog content. We'll repurpose that audio for an identical podcast that we will launch. So we've got that as a long-term pillar because the one thing is sales assembly has done an incredible job of curating thought leaders where we are lacking admittedly as a company is we have not built our own thought leadership. So if you are a part of the sales assembly product, we have genuinely some of the best sales thought leaders in the business teaching you, but people do not see our executive leaders as much as thought leaders. And I just think that's a crime because admittedly they're, and I, I'm not just saying this because I work here. I, I wanted to work here because of the talent that was here, but like the president and our head of RevOps is the former VP of RevOps at G2 and was employee number three and helped scale G2 to what it is today. It's insane. Our co-founders are serial entrepreneurs and both massively successful salespeople in their own right that then saw a gap in the market and wanted to connect salespeople so that they could grow. So again, it is starting to build out their thought leadership, to build out their social content, to be more strategic and actually tie back into product. And then the other piece is all of that blog content. It's not an SEO play. It is, we're going to link back to it in our social post. Don't worry. We're not going to say, Hey, check out this blog, but we'll have a, a nice in feed piece of content. It's like, if you want a comprehensive view, check out this full blog. And in that it will have then calls to action to plug other pieces of content that are longer form content with the goal that we take someone from short form LinkedIn content into, I would say medium form content. That's a blog into long form content. That could be our live sessions. It could be a podcast. And again, the goal is that we are walking people from we're super engaged with you on LinkedIn and liking your posts into website content into then we become their favorite weekly podcast. That is a long-term play that takes a lot of steps and not everyone will follow that flow. You know better than I do when you worked for Chris. I mean, he talked a ton about the fact that people just like watch the videos in LinkedIn and that was great. We'll, we will have that video content. Um, some people never listen to the podcast. They still came inbound. That's fantastic. 
But that's the flow that we're thinking through is how do we take someone from short form into long form content and actually lead the way that they think about how they should be closing the skill gaps of their organization. The final piece is we are actually going to start on a weekly basis clipping content out of our product. So we're not going to give away everything, but we talk about the fact that our product does incredible learning and development. And the problem that we are experiencing is that nobody's seen it. So they try to get like a free trial and just going to one session, one time and trying to measure the entire value of a strategically laid out um, skill development over the course of a year from a single session, it just doesn't work. Whereas if we can start to pull out actionable tips and insights from our thought leaders that are in the product every single week, that will be a far more engaging way to actually show the value of sales assembly. So to put it simply, we are transitioning away from a telling people, this is the value that you'll receive. And we're starting to give them a taste of what membership can look like and showing them the value that they could receive if they were to join sales assembly. No, I love every piece of that. So it sounds like, you know, you've got like maybe two or three or three or four core programs going here. You've got this like dinner relationship building one. So that's kind of a key like community building. You've got like LinkedIn, you're figuring out distribution. So yep. you've got this active connecting strategy across you, your entire executive team. And then from that distribution, once you get that in place, it's how do we distribute our different pillars? So whether it's the podcast, whether it's the live event, whether it's this product stuff, that's kind of like you, you distribute from the LinkedIn side. Mm -hmm. And then the idea is you're going to get people into one of those three flows, whether that's the organic content they get in the feed, whether that's on the event, whether that's on the podcast, or like you talked about some of the, the product stuff. So yeah. no, I think that's, that's brilliant. Anything I missed there that you'd add? Not anything that you missed, but I did realize I, I failed to mention one thing specifically, um, because this is, this is kind of where the long term meets the short term. So yes, ideal situation is we build all this content, people start to come inbound. The reality is, to our point, that does typically take three to six, sometimes nine months to actually see somebody come inbound. And it's getting longer and longer with the current speculation of our economy and the larger market. So what we are going to do, and I don't, this is not an always on, but it is admittedly, look, our pipeline is low, we need to generate some pipeline. How can we go strategically outbound? So what we're going to do, is we are starting to post upwards of 30 pieces of content across our different team members on LinkedIn. Every single week, what I'm going to do is pull out the one piece of content that got some pretty significant reach and engagement that also tie back into product. And I will actually then invite all of those people that engaged in a direct message to our live event to try to get them to engage a little bit more quickly. The other thing that we're going to do before I send that is our sales rep is going to look at the comments and see did anybody say anything in the comments that could indicate, man, they probably see a lot of value and would want some skill development support. And he is then going to actually reach out directly to them and try to create a curated demo-like experience. We, we've got a Walnut um, subscription that now helps us showcase a live interactive demo. So he's going to send them over that and say, hey, if there's anything that you specifically want, happy to create a Walnut demo for you to showcase this is the value that you're going to get. So there is still that element that there will be some level of outbounding, but the goal is that we generate enough pipeline. We don't have to go outbound, um, but in the interim, while we're still waiting for the long-term results to come in, I'd say that's mid mid uh, midterm. So we've got some clear social selling plays that we'll start to do as outbounding in a way to keep people engaged with content. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like it's a departure, though, from what most people think of, I think, for outbound, where it's like, you're not going up to everybody and saying, hey, you're in my, you know, you're one of my 3000 accounts. Let's have a meeting to learn about sales assembly. You're doing it, I think, very strategically, it sounds like, where you're either saying, hey, we're trying to get you, effectively what you're trying to do is get them into the content stream earlier. So like that's one way you're trying to like accelerate that timeline. Yep. So they're still in that inbound stream, but just trying to like, hey, can we, you know, bridge that gap so they don't have to find us organically? Like, can we force that? And the second piece it sounds like is just that kind of like high touch, very customized outbound where you're saying, hey, look, you've got 50 CS people and we have this, you know, these modules, which w on average we see X lift and Y metric, whatever, whatever it is. CS, I don't know, whatever CS metric there yeah. is. 
and like that th this is how we think we could help so it sounds like you're at least being like very strategic even though it is short-term focus like you can balance both of those absolutely cool well mason this has been great we've talked about a lot here i definitely sense a part two uh coming at some point because there's about 10 more questions that i wanted to ask <laughs> that we didn't get to but uh, i guess mason for closing uh thoughts here um anything that you'd want to add as like a summary or like a takeaway for someone listening where you know like you'd say like hey if you're gonna you know try to get started and get balanced the short and long term like what would you recommend and suggest yeah, I mean, I think it is starting with identifying your total relevant market. Like that is the first most critical piece of doing any of this because at the end of the day, most leaders and specifically sales leaders are going to come to marketing and say, we need leads. That's not what they need. They need quality opportunities. So again, if you're given this mandate of go after B2B tech, for example, and you start going after 20,000 accounts and you start generating leads at a volume that are not the right fit people at all, then you're going to get let go. I mean, just to put it bluntly, like that's, it's not going to work. So starting by actually getting alignment of these are the right fit people. Cause the other thing you can have in that conversation is kind of the expectation of because we're getting tighter you're going to see a lower lead volume, but they will be higher quality when they come in. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I think you do need to start at the bottom of the funnel typically and actually optimize your way up to ensure that when you start to generate all this demand, you're not generating demand that can't be captured, but that you are being intentional with the way in which you're thinking about it. Um, and then I think the third most valuable piece is just, again, identifying what's the pipeline we need to have as a business to hit our goals and as long as we've got that pipeline, again, I remember when I was in agency space, we ended up at one point having a $3 million pipeline. And the goal is to always have a pipeline that was over a million dollars. Conversion metrics stayed the same. Um, pipeline velocity stayed the same. But we just had $3 million worth of pipeline. Nobody asked me anything for three months on what I was doing. And I got to go do great long-term things. That's when ABMathon happened. That was that day-long virtual conference that we hosted. It was great. And then shortly after that, we got acquired. So like, it was amazing because the pipeline was there. So if you've got pipeline, no one typically asks you too many questions. No, pipeline really does cure, cure, cure all ills within a business. Mason, this has been fantastic. There is so much value shared here. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you or follow up or see more of your content, where's the best place to reach you? I've mentioned LinkedIn a lot, so <laughs> it's probably going to be LinkedIn um, for anything that is more marketing strategy and tactics and sales assembly related content. Uh, it's going to be LinkedIn. Um, the other thing I will go ahead and plug is I do have my own personal podcast. So if you are looking for a job in marketing, I interview marketing leaders on the roles that they're hiring for to help marketers land new jobs. So that is called the marketing ladder. You can find it everywhere. If you find it, if you can't find it somewhere, please let me know and I will fix it. I've been saying that for a year and a half and I have awesome. yet to been told that it's not somewhere. <laughs> no, that's awesome, Mason. Well, hey, man, really appreciate you being on. This was a, a great episode. Really love talking with you today. And uh, yeah, man, we'll have to do a part two sometime in the future. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Blake. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out scrappyabm.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Mason Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.